Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 201 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. I'm excited to be on the other side of 200. Thank you again to Jennifer and Jafar listeners for joining me on episode 200. That was a ton of fun. If you haven't already checked out that episode, then please do. I'm excited about today's episode. You've got a solo episode with just me talking about training by effort, training by effort, and the importance of training by effort and how to think about training by effort as well as what it looks like to train by effort. So I'll be digging into all of those details. I've got a couple of announcements first and then a lot to cover. So I'm going to jump pretty quickly into the main topic today. First of all, just a reminder for those who listened to episode 200, we've got an an interest list that we put together for in-person training in the Denver area coached by our rogue co-owner, Ruth England. If you're interested in that, check the link in the show notes. Please sign up so that we can gauge interest and hopefully get that off the ground relatively soon. Secondly, we've also got through the end of September now just about nine days more or so for you to sign up for our training, our podcast-based training groups. We've got two of them where you can sign up in September. One is our base training program and the other one is our 5K to marathon program where you can train really for whatever distance you'd like to train for depending on where you are and what you might be focused on now. Both of those groups you can sign up for. Again, I'll include those links in the show notes. Secondly, by way of intro, I wanted to mention that for the first time ever, 201 episodes in, I'm going to be taking ads and sponsorships for the Running Rogue podcast. And so I've got a what's called a mid-roll ad in this episode that you'll hear in the break in one of my points as we talk through the main topic today. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, before you hear that, why I've decided to do it. And the main reason is that I actually had an opportunity come to me from a company that I've actually already started to use myself. And and so I had that opportunity, wanted to share with you. So this is a way for me to talk about it and get some support for the podcast that I can use to reinvest in the work that I do in order to continue to provide you great content. And so that's why we're doing it. And I promise you, as someone who cares very much about you as listeners, I will only ever share with you companies and products that I believe in myself and that I think that could potentially help you. So that's my commitment to you. I will also try to use the information I share in the ads to educate you as well so that you can be a smarter consumer. In today's episode, I'll be talking to you about a company called Care Of which provides daily vitamins and supplements. So we'll be talking about that in the middle of this conversation. But with that as your intro, let's jump into my topic today. We are talking about effort-based training and the importance of being able to dial into effort and really understand when you're given certain paces in a workout, what does that mean? How does that translate into the physiological benefits that you're going to be getting during that workout? And so today we'll be spending a lot of time talking about the why of that, the what of that, as well as the how. And I think all of it's important because I think it's, I want you to to be intellectually engaged as an athlete, to know exactly why you're doing what you're doing, to know exactly what it's doing for your body so that you can become not only better at executing, 
but also become a better and faster athlete at the end of the day. So that's what we're talking about today. And it will get, for some of you, you may roll your eyes, it will get a little sciencey today. We'll be talking about some, some terms that I'm sure you've heard about the science of aerobic development. But hopefully my goal is to demystify those terms so that you can understand them and be able to hopefully explain it to others as well as understand it exactly yourself. So I'm going to try to demystify some of those terms as we go. But first of all, I wanted to talk about the why. Why is effort important? And really, in training, effort is king. Effort is the thing that matters most in terms of getting the aerobic response you need in order to develop your physiology. Oftentimes, we use proxy for effort in order to help you dial into a certain effort. But the key thing to remember is that effort is still king. What are the proxies that we use? We use pace often as a proxy, especially for those runners. Heart rate is also a proxy that we use and, frankly, is probably closer correlated to effort, but isn't necessarily an end-all and be-all either. But those are two things that we use to try to point you in a direction that gets you to train at the right effort in order to develop your aerobic system in the right way. But even though we're using those proxies, it's still important to remember that effort is king because there are plenty of times when pace and sometimes even heart rate can be giving you different information than your effort indicates. And so I'll give you an example. Let's just talk about training in warm weather, for example. I think this is oftentimes the hardest thing for athletes to really understand. If you're running eight-minute pace when it's 50 degrees and 50% humidity versus running eight-minute pace at 80 degrees and 85% humidity, those are two very different things in terms of effort. But the pace is the same in this example. Eight-minute pace, but very different efforts. So when you're running eight-minute pace at 50 degrees, 50% humidity, that's achieving a certain effort level that will correlate to an aerobic stimulus, that will correlate to you developing your aerobic system in a certain way. When you're running that eight-minute pace at 80 degrees and 85% humidity, you're at a different effort level that will correlate to a different aerobic stimulus that will correlate to a different form of aerobic development. Depending on the athlete, those two things could actually be very, very similar, but for many, they're not. And even though the pace is the same, the effort is different. So what's, what's important there? The effort is important. The pace isn't what's important. And you could run faster, maybe 7.30 on a 50-degree day with 50 degrees humidity, or you could run slower on a warm day, maybe eight minutes, maybe 8.30 at that 80 degree, 85% humidity. And that would be how you would get to the same effort given the weather shifts. So you might have two different paces in that case with the same effort. And if the effort's the same, the stimulus is the same 
the aerobic development opportunity is the same. And yet your paces are different. So that's a critical lesson to be had here. Because oftentimes as as runners especially, we're very focused on the pace on the watch. And we're not cognizant of how the other variables around pace might change and affect how you feel at that pace, including weather, humidity, how much you slept that night before, what you ate the day before, the week before, whether or not you have people you're running with. There's a whole lot of variables that affect how you feel at a given pace. And what matters is not the pace in that case, but the effort and the, and how those variables affect that pace become important. And so as you train, you have to be aware of that. And don't be a slave to your watch. Don't be a slave to your Garmin and dial specifically into a certain pace and think that that's getting you what you want. Because above all, again, effort is king. Heart rate is a better proxy, but it's a little bit more complicated in a sense that not everybody has good tools to measure heart rate because risk-based heart rate is decent, but not probably accurate enough to train by heart rate. And in addition, in order to train most effectively by heart rate, you need to actually get tested so that you can understand truly what your heart rate zones are. There are ways to approximate it using formulas, but the best way to really train by heart rate is to actually get your VO2 max tested. And most people don't have the resources or ability to do that because you also need to test regularly in in order to understand how those zones change. So it ends up being a less efficient process overall. And so oftentimes people avoid it. So, but still, but even still heart rate training still has its limitations because it doesn't always, always correlate with effort. So effort is king. And the only way to really dial into effort is to understand how your body works, is to understand what you're trying to accomplish and is to learn through experience how to feel your training, how to feel your training. If you need more on the case for this topic, I would highly recommend you check check out an old episode, episode 10, where we talked about running by feel and the importance of that as a core training principle. But now we're going to dig underneath that and really try to talk about how that will manifest in your training. So, Effort is king. Effort is more important than pace. Effort is more important than heart rate. Now, of course, we use those tools. We use heart rate. We use pace to try to give you some reference points to dial into effort. But still, effort is king. I will also say that in some cases, especially when we're getting into a race-specific part of a training block, then in some of those cases... In rare cases, pace does actually specifically matter because sometimes we are trying to get you to really understand how it feels to run at race pace. In order to do that, you got to run exactly at race pace and and so that you can feel that out very specifically in order to be ready to execute that on the day that matters. And so, yes, there are cases where pace specific pace matters, but the vast majority of the time, more often than not, 
effort is king. And we run certain efforts in order to get certain aerobic stimulus in order to get some outcome on the other side in order to develop the aerobic system in ways that we want to make you a faster athlete. So as a part of that, it's important to understand that the aerobic system is composed of different parts. And it's a little bit, this isn't a perfect analogy, but I'm going to use it in this way because I think it helps you understand. But the aerobic system is a lot like the neuromuscular system in a sense that you have different parts of your aerobic system and likewise you have different parts of your neuromuscular system. And so if I'm going to the gym to build strength, certain days I'm working pecs, certain days biceps, certain day days quads, certain days calves, I'm working different parts of my neuromuscular system in order to build it in a holistic way so that I don't get imbalances. And, you know, there's the classic example of that weightlifter who only works upper body and who has, you know, a massive upper body and big pecs, big biceps, big triceps, but who never works legs and has these little skinny legs. And, and that's a case of someone who's not working the neuromuscular system in a balanced way. And you also likewise have with the aerobic system, people that like to work parts of the aerobic system and not work the aerobic system holistically. So today we're going to be talking about in my second kind of chapter of this discussion what effort-based training looks like in terms of what are the different effort zones that you can work and how that works different parts of the aerobic system. And this is an oversimplification, but I'm going to give you three essential categories that we need to work in the aerobic system in order to build yourself holistically as a runner. Now you could break this down into smaller chunks. I totally recognize that. And so this categorization is a little bit arbitrary, but it does, I think, give you a sense for what you need to be doing in order to build yourself holistically as an aerobic athlete. So what are those parts? And again, it's a little bit of oversimplification, but I'll give you three. And then in the next bit, we're going to talk about how that breaks down into further chunks. So first part, aerobic capacity. Part one, aerobic capacity. This is essentially your global ability to process oxygen. Some people might call this global aerobic development. But aerobic capacity is your global ability to process oxygen. Oxygen tends to be the limiting factor in what we call respiration, which is your body's ability, your body's chemical process of making you go. And in order to run faster, you have to be as efficient as you can be with respiration. Respiration requires, just as any chemical reaction, certain piece parts, certain subcomponents in order for that chemical reaction to run smoothly. In the case of cellular respiration, Oxygen and glucose are those building blocks for that chemical reaction. Typically, you have plenty of glucose on your body to kickstart that respiration process. So oxygen becomes the limiting factor in that process. And so the more oxygen you can process from your lungs to your bloodstream, to your working muscles, then the faster you can go. And I've talked about this before, but... 
building aerobic capacity, developing that global aerobic system involves some really cool physiological changes that literally change you from the inside out. It includes adding more mitochondria to your cells and mitochondria is where respiration occurs. It includes adding more capillaries, little blood vessels to your working muscles so you can get even more oxygen into the, the cellular level. It also means adding red blood cells to your bloodstream, improving the red blood cells ability to carry oxygen. It means improving the lungs ability to pass oxygen into the bloodstream. And then of course it means improving your lung capacity so you can take in even more oxygen from the outside world as you breathe. All of those physiological changes in order to get more O2 from your mouth and nose to the cellular level are absolutely critical and they are developed over a long period of time by running easy conversational efforts. We'll talk more about how you break down in this in a, break that down in a second, but that's number one part of the aerobic system, just global aerobic capacity. Number two is aerobic strength, aerobic strength, also called endurance. This is your ability to hold hard, slightly hard paces for longer and longer periods of time. This is really the sweet spot for us distance runners. This is the ability to be efficient when it starts to get a little bit hard, to keep your breathing in control, to keep your heart rate down. Endurance, aerobic strength, absolutely critical to being an efficient long distance runner and oftentimes we neglect this middle zone or this middle area this middle part of the aerobic system because we know how to really run fast and to press press the edges we also know how to to run easy and keep things in control but many times we miss that middle zone and or we press too hard and we end up leaving it because we get fidgety and we don't want to just try to settle in and work on bringing the heart rate and breathing under control to make that comfortably hard to slightly harder effort zones feel easier. So that's number two. So we've got aerobic capacity, aerobic strength, and then the last part is sort of speed and power. Speed and power. This is... The category of work where you're working the, the, the high end, you're fine-tuning the engine, you're making sure that you can get the most out of the pieces you've built from those other two components, global aerobic capacity and aerobic strength. You're putting those things to work and then really revving everything to the max. This also includes when you get into that anaerobic zone, which we'll talk about in a bit, when you actually don't have any more oxygen to process. Your body can still do it, can still do it without oxygen for a bit of time. That's called anaerobic work. And so that's included, that last bit of edge that you need to put on the work in order to get the most out of the end of a race, particularly. So there you go. Three parts of effort-based training that we're going to talk about. Talking about building aerobic capacity, building aerobic strength, and then building speed and power. Those are the three areas. I'm going to break those down into eight subparts. Into eight subparts. And the reason 
I'm doing this is because, again, there's a purpose for all of this work. And so there's eight types of work that I'm going to identify for you. Now, again, this is my personal categorization, but it could be divided in other ways. You'll have some people break this down into five zones, six, seven, but I'm going with eight because it's how I think about different effort levels that will achieve different results. And and I want you to, to really understand the nuance of this because it's important, I think, as an athlete to understand when you're told to run a certain pace and in the context of a certain type of workout, what does that mean in terms of the effort you're trying to achieve and what does that mean in terms of the aerobic stimulus you're trying to receive so that you can get the outcome that you want? And so we're going to break those three areas down into eight areas. And as we go, I will explain to you and try to explain to you particularly the pace ranges that might be typically associated with those areas. The I'm not going to necessarily talk about heart rate zones today and specifically correlate to this discussion of heart rate zones because that is a little bit more nuanced. That is an episode unto itself. So I just wanted you to know that you could do that, but I'm choosing not to because that makes things a little bit more complicated and nuanced. All right, so eight effort-based zones to think about. And they correlate to the three categories I mentioned. So we've got two within aerobic capacity, three within aerobic strength, and three within building speed and power. And again, don't get too hung up on the labels, the words, but just listen and understand what I mean when I'm talking about each of these things. So two within aerobic development, let's dive into those. One is zone one, we'll, we'll just call it that, zone one is active recovery. Active recovery. Active recovery is the zone of work that you're doing where you're actually less concerned about building aerobic capacity and more concerned with moving the body in a way that will promote recovery. I've talked about it before many times. Movement equals blood flow equals healing. Motion is lotion. And so getting out the day after a hard workout or the day after a long run is critical for active rest and recovery so that you can promote blood flow, which promotes healing in the system. So active recovery is the first zone that we'll talk about. For most likely, you're still building aerobic capacity in this zone. Now, technically, there is a, a pace or an effort at which you could, be, you could be going too slow so that you're not doing the things you need to do to build aerobic capacity. But most likely, that's not possible for you. Most people can't actually go slow enough to fall out of this zone. So most likely, you're still building a little bit of aerobic capacity, but more importantly, and primarily, you're just stimulating blood flow so that you can promote recovery and therefore then be ready to go back and do another workout or long run. So that's zone one. It typically falls at a pace that is at least two minutes per mile slower than your marathon pace or slower or slower. Now, most people will say, Chris, there's no way I can go that slow. Well, if you listen to me on the podcast, then you know that I don't believe you when you say that. 
because if you're inefficient at slower paces, then I promise you there's inefficiencies that you don't know about at faster paces. So get comfortable slowing down enough to actually be in the right zone in order to stimulate active recovery. Zone one, active recovery. Now, for me, sometimes this is even slower than that. Could be three to four minutes slower than marathon pace. That is an effort level that sometimes I do achieve on my runs when that's what my body is asking for. But the point isn't the pace, as I've said before. The point is more, are you getting the purpose of this type of effort? Are you going easy enough in order to stimulate recovery versus stimulate more waste in the system? That's ultimately the question you're trying to ask. So when you're in zone one, when you finish a run in zone one, the goal is to finish feeling better than when you started. And if you can say honestly, looking at yourself in the mirror, that that's true, then you've likely accomplished your goal and stayed in the right zone. This is also a time when you should be able to definitely speak within full sentences to somebody who might be running with you. You should never be in in a place where you can't have a conversation when you're in zone one or in zone two for that matter, which I'll talk about in a second. So it's a very, very conversational pace. It should feel so easy that, again, you feel better when you finish and and likely feel better as the run progresses as you're working out that waste by stimulating blood blood flow through the process of movement. So that's zone one, active recovery. Again, still building aerobic capacity in that place. But more importantly, you're actually promoting blood flow, which promotes healing so that you can then go put more work back into the harder zones. So that's zone one. Zone two is easy run pace, easy run pace. So this is a run that is squarely in the sweet spot of building aerobic capacity. It's going to to be your typical medium long or mostly long run uh, paces or any other day that's not a recovery day where you might not be doing a workout. So it's just that sweet spot of getting out for that easy run also conversational pace so that you can speak in full sentence while while doing this work pace wise this typically falls between one minute per mile and two minutes per mile slower than marathon pace again typically but not always and of course is that effort at which you can have a a full conversation while doing it typically you should also feel like you should hold that you could you could hold this pace forever And again, just like with recovery pace, you should typically feel better when you're done than when you started. If you felt like you did too much work, then that's probably a sign that you pushed it too hard. Oftentimes people argue with me, well, I can't go that slow or they want to do their long runs at a pace that's closer to marathon pace so that they can arbitrarily feel better about themselves and their ability to execute that pace on race day. But If you do that, it's counterproductive because what happens when you move past that point of about a minute or so slower per mile than marathon pace, then you start to stimulate a different part of the aerobic system. And so it'd be like if you went to the gym and you were trying to work your pecs and you ended up doing bicep curls instead, that would be the equivalent to running too fast on an easy run is 
wanting to work aerobic capacity but building aerobic strength instead, or maybe even worse, getting caught in aerobic development, no man's land, which we'll talk about, in which case you're doing neither of the right things and you're totally wasting miles. Those are called junk miles. But it's important to stay well away from that so that you can stay squarely in this place of building aerobic capacity. An analogy that I often use with runners is that aerobic capacity is essentially the size of your engine. So if you like cars, this is a car analogy. You want as many cylinders as possible in your engine. You don't want four cylinders. You want eight cylinders. You want 10 cylinders. You want as many cylinders as you can get because the more cylinders you have, the faster that car can go. And so when you're building aerobic capacity, that's adding cylinders to the engine. And once you move past the point of building aerobic capacity, then you're fine-tuning the engine and you're no longer building the size of your engine. And I promise you, you'd rather have a bigger engine when it comes to running long distances than it would be to have an engine that's really revved up and finely tuned. So you want to stay in this zone, this easy run zone, where you're still building aerobic capacity. And at the same time, you're also far enough away from those other zones so that you're not breaking down the system or breaking down the neuromuscular system so that when you do go and do that quality work that will stimulate either aerobic strength or speed and power, then you're in the right place and you're ready to do it. So that's your second zone where you're also building aerobic capacity. This is easy run pace. Again, typically one minute per mile slower than marathon pace or slower, but more than that, it is a easy conversational effort where you could speak in full sentences and do that honestly and look yourself in the mirror when you're done and say, that felt good. I'm ready for the next. So that's the second zone. We start with active recovery. Then we've got easy run zone. Those two zones build aerobic capacity. Absolutely critical. And by the way, if you read the book 80-20 Running by Matt Fitzgerald, he'll talk about the 80 in 80-20 training is that 80% falls in these first two zones. The magic when it comes to getting fast in the long term falls in these first two zones. They aren't sexy. They aren't fast. You know, air quotes around fast. But that's the sweet spot where you're doing, again, all the cool things to build that aerobic system to literally change your physiology as a human from the inside out, building blood vessels. That's pretty cool stuff. You've got to do it by staying in either zone one or two in order to get 80% of what you need for the outcomes toward a goal. Hard to believe, I know, but it's true. And if you correlate it to strength training, which I sometimes do because that's the easiest way for this to make sense, is that when you're trying to build strength, you spend most of the time at higher reps, lower weight, before really trying to max it out very occasionally. Same thing in running. Lower weight, i.e. lower intensity, more reps, i.e. more volume, more mileage at those lower intensities so that you build aerobic capacity so that you can get more oxygen, more O2 from the air to your cells so that those mitochondria can respirate like nobody's business. So that's your goal with these two zones. Again, 
the most important zones in this whole chart, in this whole discussion. So spend your time there and do it wisely and with patience because it's absolutely critical. Next, we're talking about building aerobic strength, aerobic strength. And there's three different zones within building aerobic strength. Absolutely critical zones to being your best, especially half marathoner and marathoner, but even 5K and 10K athletes need this work too. There's three zones here. Number three, the most easy, the most moderate zone within this aerobic strength building category is steady work, also called aerobic threshold work. Steady is a term that we use here at Rogue. It's not often a term that you'll hear ubiquitously within running training vernacular, but some people do use this term. But steady work is essentially work that is in and around your aerobic threshold. Your aerobic threshold is a fancy word that essentially means the point at which your body in doing work starts to build up lactate in the system. It's the point at which your body starts to build up lactate in the system. We'll talk later about lactate threshold. That's a different point. But in this aerobic threshold, that's the point at which you're working hard enough where your body starts to build up waste. And that waste in this case is called lactate. Now, the interesting thing about lactate is that if you keep into, you know, if you keep it a moderate effort, if you keep it under control, then you can actually use lactate, turn it into fuel, and or you can clear out lactate so that it doesn't build up to a point of becoming a problem. But aerobic threshold is when that starts to happen. Lactate isn't a problem yet at aerobic threshold. In fact, it's an okay thing because your body can use lactate and reuse lactate. But it is the point at which you're doing enough work where you start to build up waste in the system, that waste being lactate. And it is, again, what we call steady effort or what we call a comfortably hard effort. This is typically, again, about the pace you can hold for a two-hour run, for two hours of work if you are going to only run two hours. Typically, for most of us, that falls somewhere between marathon pace at the slow end, if you're going to still be in the steady zone, and for some, half marathon pace. Don't worry so much about how that correlates with two hours because that will confuse you. The most important thing is that it's somewhere in that realm of half marathon to marathon effort where you can find a consistent rhythm that you could potentially hold for up to two hours. That's aerobic threshold or the zone for aerobic threshold. And this is a magical place where you're working, but you're not working so hard that you start to slow down or start to feel the effects of needing to slow down. And it's a tricky zone to find because it really is more about being in control and being efficient. And oftentimes we like to skip this zone, but it is a nice sweet spot in our training that helps you do some work, build aerobic strength without overtaxing the system. And so we like the steady runs, particularly in that aerobic strength building phase of training, 
where you're not quite into race specific mode, but you're really starting to do some work and get the system prepared for its race specific work. So steady effort is the first zone, zone three of this aerobic strength category. This is where you're building aerobic threshold. One thing to note here before I go too far is that there is a little bit of a no man's land in aerobic development that typically falls for most people around marathon pace. And again, that's going to depend on you know how fast you're running your marathons. But oftentimes, if we're running at marathon goal pace, then we end up in this almost middle zone where we're directly between building aerobic capacity and building aerobic strength or hitting that aerobic threshold world. And so you're kind of right in the middle and being in the middle isn't necessarily a good thing because it means you're not doing what you need to build aerobic strength and you're also not doing what you need to build aerobic capacity. So you're too far from aerobic strength to build aerobic strength and you're too far from aerobic capacity to build aerobic capacity. So you find yourself in this no man's land of aerobic development where at least you're not being efficient about developing either of those two systems and therefore you're wasting mileage. So in our training, we don't do a lot of MGP specifically, marathon goal pace specifically, except in our race specific mode or in workouts where we're trying to help you dial into that pace and really understand it and get familiar with it versus trying to accomplish some aerobic outcome. So that's why MGP can be a dangerous pace to run at times because you end up in that no man's land and you end up wasting miles. But zone three, steady effort, aerobic threshold. That's the point at which lactate starts to build up in the system. But again, remember, you can use lactate as energy, you can also discard lactate as waste. And so the body needs to be able to deal with that and manage it. And so you have a couple of other zones in this category of building aerobic strength that help you start to deal with lactate or that have effects related to lactate. And the second one in this category, zone four overall, is tempo effort. Tempo effort. Tempo effort is the sweet spot, dead in the middle of building aerobic strength. It is typically right around half marathon pace. It is the point at which you're working, but your body is basically building lactate or creating lactate as waste while also being able to either use it or lose it efficiently so that it's not building up to a point of becoming a problem. And so you find this sweet spot of aerobic strength where you're working, you're working, but you can still deal with the waste that comes with that work. That is tempo. Tempo is the sweet spot of building aerobic strength. As I mentioned in podcast in episode 200 with Jafar and Jennifer, Jafar asked the question, if I, if I could only do one workout, what would it be? And it would probably simply be tempo runs. Almost every, every single training program you'll find has tempo work in it because it does so much for aerobic strength. And especially for us distance runners, those going longer, it is so critical to be able to get to this place where you can efficiently create and discard and use waste so that you stay in a sweet spot, stay in that rhythm of endurance where you can go for a long period of time without fading. And the process of figuring that out and dealing with it both physically and mentally 
is absolutely critical, not only for building the body's ability to do that physiologically, but also building the mind's ability to manage that zone and to stay in the right place, as well as to potentially put the mind to work to bring the heart rate down, to bring your breathing under control so that it all works and so that you can keep going. You can sustain that effort for longer and longer periods of time. So that's tempo effort, the sweet spot of aerobic strength building right around half marathon pace. Many of you know it and probably already love it or hate it in all the right ways. So that's the second zone, zone four overall in aerobic strength. Zone five, which is the third zone in this category, this is lactate threshold work. Lactate threshold work. So lactate threshold, again, using lactate as the thing we've been talking about. Aerobic threshold is when lactate starts to build in the system. You start to see it pop up. Tempo is that place at which, yeah, you're creating lactate, but you can deal with it, you can use it, you can pass it on, and it's all okay. When you hit lactate threshold, that's the point at which lactate starts to build up, that waste product starts to build up to the point where the body can't use it or lose it fast enough. And so it starts to snowball. It starts to spiral. It starts to accumulate in excessive ways that's going to eventually cause you to slow down. That's lactate threshold. And your ability to push that back to make it longer time or you know, to be able to push harder before you get to that point, that is an absolutely critical point in endurance training. And so we work sometimes, but typically less often than tempo, we work lactate threshold work specifically in order to push that threshold further away. Push that point at which lactate becomes a problem further away. Lactate threshold is right around the the effort that you could hold for a one-hour race or a one-hour time trial. It typically sits right around there. For many of us, that's somewhere between 10K and half marathon pace, but again, it is more of an effort. It's that that point right before the red line, essentially, where you can sustain without spiraling, and that's lactate threshold. Oftentimes in workouts, you'll do these in chunks, like longer chunks, but not too long, so maybe 10 minutes, 20-minute chunks, up to probably max 30-minute chunks in order to really push that threshold out. So that's our third category, category five overall within this, this part of aerobic development called building aerobic strength. And again, it mostly rotates around that pesky little thing called lactate, which can be your friend or can be your foe. And essentially, aerobic strength is about dealing with that thing called lactate and whether or not your body can handle it, how much your body can use and reuse, and then at what point does it become a problem? So that's second category, three zones in there. Again, steady effort, right around aerobic threshold, tempo effort, and then lactate threshold. Before I talk about the third category, I wanted to quickly jump in with my conversation about care of. As I mentioned in the intro, this is a vitamin and supplement company that makes it easy, convenient, hassle-free for you to get the daily vitamins that you might take on a monthly basis in daily single-use packs so that you know exactly 
what you need to take on a given day that's packaged for you. Personally, the reason I found them is because I have to supplement vitamin D. That's something I take daily because I have a mutation that doesn't allow me to absorb vitamin D in the way I need to, which has caused certain problems for me, including stress reactions and things like that. But yet, oftentimes I would forget, have I taken it, have I not? Or I would forget to order and I wouldn't have it when I need it. And so care of helps me deal with that because I can put vitamin D in there. I could put anything else I might want to supplement with daily in there and then get individually wrapped packets to make it super easy for me. It's also, I think, cool because the, all the ingredients that they use are super clean, really high quality, and they're really transparent about what's included in everything. I've been looking recently at their electrolyte product, which has only 15 calories per serving. It is Sweden by monk fruit extract, so completely natural and organic, and yet has all the electrolytes you need across the board. And so I've been looking at potentially using that as I supplement electrolytes daily as well. And then lastly, it's also cool because if you don't know what to take or if you're interested in looking at other things that might help you, they have a cool online quiz that you can take that will, depending on your goals, recommend other potential things for you to try and will give you all the information you need about each of those things. It's really transparent. They'll say, look, we've got good research on this or we don't, or this is something that's used in practice. So you might try it as well. And so when I did the online quiz, it recommended for me an interesting herb that I hadn't heard about before called ashwagandha that apparently promotes muscle recovery and also endurance building. So you can build your own packets or you can take the online quiz and get recommendations on things you might be interested in, again, with all the data backing it up. So if you'd like to check it out, you can go to takecareof.com. That's T-A-K-E careof.com. And you can use my code ROGUE50 for 50% off your first order. That's ROGUE50, all lowercase ROGUE, R-O-G-U-E, 50, ROGUE50 for 50% off your first order. So if you take daily supplements, I highly recommend it. If you'd like and are curious to figure out what else you might be missing, you can also use that quiz to check that out as well. So again, personally, I've started using it for my vitamin D and I'm looking at other things to potentially add to my daily packets and wanted to bring this opportunity to you as well. Again, you can use order code ROGUE50. The web address is takecareof.com. So with that, let's jump into my final category and then we'll close talking a little bit about ways you can better gauge and manage effort in your training. So we've talked about aerobic capacity building. We've talked about aerobic strength building. Now we're going to talk about speed and power. So three more categories. The last two are pretty similar, but I, but it's important to cover them as well. So category six overall, first in this subcategory around building speed is VO2 max. This is something you've heard about, but this is essentially your the, the maximum amount of oxygen that you can put to work in your body at any one time for the process of respiration. So that's VO2 max. And this is essentially that point in your system where everything's doing work. You've got all your oxygen at its, your oxygen capacity at its maximum potential. Typically, you hit this point in a two-mile time trial, and often we use a two-mile time trial in order to figure out, as a proxy for figuring out VO2 max, but it can also be potentially for some of us 5K effort. And so, so this is effectively for us distance runners, 
going hard, going hard, working the high end of the range, working the speed. This is something that you can sustain for two, maybe three miles, but not more than that. And then things start to fall away because you're already, once you've hit VO2 max, you're already to that point where lactate is building in the system. And at some point you're going to completely redline and go anaerobic. But this is the, this is the point before you get anaerobic, but where you're still working. And at some point you hit that max where you've got all your oxygen molecules at work that you could possibly put in your body and at some point the waste accumulates too much and then you flip over on the other side and it starts to go the other way in which case you start spiraling towards your anaerobic threshold and so vo2 max is that really faster work where you're going hard but not quite anaerobic and i think many of us know this because this is often what we want to jump to in workouts where we're pushing where we're going something close to 5k pace in order to work vo2 max then we will typically work paces between 3k and usually up to 10k pace in order to improve overall vo2 max or improve your body's maximum aerobic output vo2 max and so that's when you, so when you get those workouts, typically again, between 3K and 10K pace, that's most likely your coach's way of saying, all right, we're working VO2 max today. We're trying to max out the oxygen you can use when you're doing work. And then at some point after you hit that global peak usage of oxygen, you start to flip over to the other side, lactate's continuing to build. And at some point you run out of oxygen. Your body just can't do any more. Because the blood's pumping, the lungs are breathing as hard as they can, and you just don't have enough. And so at some point, you hit that next zone in this category, which is basically once you cross over to the you cross over the anaerobic threshold, and you get into what's called your anaerobic capacity, which is your ability to continue to use glucose to basically make respiration go without oxygen. Your body's, your body's a pretty amazing tool and it can do it without oxygen for a little while. When you're getting close to this point, it's interesting because your body will, in order to keep going, will pull blood from parts of your system that aren't working, i.e. not your legs, in order to make the system go, in order to squeeze all the oxygen it can and put those into those working muscles. So oftentimes when you're approaching anaerobic threshold, that's when you'll do you'll feel things like your stomach flipping. I call it stomach stomach flipping, but you'll kind of get sick to your stomach because basically what's happening there is your body's pulling blood out of your stomach and your intestinal intestinal area in order to use it in your muscles to find additional oxygen to do more respiration. And then it'll use that and then suddenly you flip over the edge. You don't you can't you don't have enough oxygen anymore. You're running out of oxygen effectively. Your body's essentially performing respiration without oxygen. And you can only do that for so long before everything just shuts down completely. So that anaerobic capacity work, that anaerobic threshold work is usually short, fast, intense, and often with little rest to try to essentially work the ability for your body to do respiration without oxygen. Most of the time, anaerobic work, 
is done very few and far between for us distance runners. It's typically only focused in the very latter stages of training when you're training for specific things around very short races so that you can get that additional little finishing kick essentially once you've gone into into the no man's land. And so anaerobic work is really critical for athletes that are doing doing sprints and middle distance, particularly 400, 800, because that's when they're they're hitting that place pretty quickly. So that's zone seven, anaerobic capacity, anaerobic threshold. Zone eight is, and I'm stealing this term from another coach, more cycling coach, Andy Coggin. It's called neuromuscular power. This is the last zone where you're really focused on neuromuscular pathways. So it's kind of beyond the point of working the aerobic system to the point where you're actually focused specifically on working the neuromuscular system. So this is short, hard, all-out efforts that's essentially grooving new neuromuscular pathways in order to build speed so that you can have that available to you when you start to work into other zones. I recently had my group here in Austin do a workout that was more focused on neuromuscular power, and it was a building workout where we were focused on doing 100-meter sprints at increasingly hard efforts, and it was specifically designed to reprogram neuromuscular pathways. And so really here in this place, effort is less relevant in a sense, but it's more about what you're feeling in the neuromuscular system and are you feeling things you haven't felt muscles work that you haven't had working in a while it's more associated with what's the body feeling than maybe what you're feeling aerobically although it's certainly hard work when you do it oftentimes you do do it though with lots of recovery and this could also manifest in the form of short hill reps for example that you might typically do with a lot of recovery so that you're working Short, hard, and fast, but getting plenty of recovery in between so that you your your nerves and muscles can accept the work that you're doing. Oftentimes you're doing this work, you'll be really sore afterwards because you're grooving new patterns. You're working muscles you haven't worked, and you're also literally grooving new neuromuscular pathways so that you can program your body and program the neuromuscular system to give you speed in in places when you're working other parts of the aerobic system. So that's the last category. So again, to summarize, in this speed and power zone, we've got VO2 max work. That's 3K up to sometimes 10K work. Then you've got aerobic capacity, aerobic threshold, short, hard, fast efforts where you're essentially trying to lengthen the time that your body can operate without oxygen. And then finally... Neuromuscular power, where specifically working speed, but trying to essentially reprogram the neuromuscular pathways to give you access to speed that you can use at the other aerobic zones. And so in this category overall, again, we're, we're focused on speed. We're also focused on dealing with essentially the effects of not having enough oxygen. So speed and power is about dealing with the effects of not having enough oxygen. And that's this third category with these three sub parts. 
So again, to summarize, we've got zone one, active rest. Zone two, easy run effort. That's all within aerobic capacity building. Second category, aerobic strength building. We've got steady effort, aerobic threshold work. We've got zone, that's zone three. Zone four, tempo effort. Zone five, lactate threshold. And then we go into the final category, speed and power, where we've got zone six, VO2 max work. Zone seven, anaerobic threshold and capacity. And zone eight, neuromuscular power. So that's the lay of the land on the effort zones. Again, could be categorized differently, could be labeled differently, but those are essentially the zones we will try to get into in order to to build those different parts of the aerobic system. Most typically, a workout or run should have one of those zones in mind as its purpose for the day. And your goal as an athlete is to be able to recognize that. Now, sometimes coaches will combine paces and different paces together. And rarely, occasionally, there might be a time where you're working multiple zones in a given day. But for the most part, you can only do one thing at a time. You can only chase one rabbit at once, as the great Elliot Kipchoge says. And so most workouts are designed to work one of those eight zones. And if you know what that is, if you understand what you're trying to accomplish on a given day, it will help you get into the right effort zone in order to achieve your goal for the day. And a good training program has you working all of those different zones at different times in a puzzle format so that at the end of the day, you're building a complete picture that has you ready to do your best on race day to accomplish your goal. And so as a coach, our job and or as someone writing a training program, our job is to assemble that picture in a way that we're working all of these eight zones at the right times in order to give you the right stimulus to accomplish your goal. And so when a, when a workout is written to work one of those zones and you do something as an athlete to put you into another zone, then you're not getting that piece of the puzzle. Well, does, does that mean it's the end of the world? No, certainly there's, there's ranges that we can work here within and still accomplish our goals, but it's easy as athletes to cross over into another zone. So again, back to the example, if a coach gives you a tempo run and you turn that run because you're out with some raining buddies into more of a race where instead of being efficient, and establishing a consistently hard rhythm that you can sustain for perhaps the three or four miles that you were given for that tempo run. If you turn into a race and maybe you're with your training buddies and then you guys start racing each other and pushing beyond into either lactate threshold or into VO2 max zone, then you haven't worked the tempo zone in the way that your coach wanted you to or the program wanted you to. And instead of working on the ability to be efficient in that sweet spot of aerobic strength building, you've suddenly shifted into building speed or power and building VO2 max instead, and therefore have missed that part of the puzzle that will eventually build to a perfect picture of goal accomplished. So it is critical as an athlete that you not only understand the purpose of the day and or of the workout, 
but also that you have the discipline and wherewithal to stay within that space. And again, we give you paces to help you figure that out and to have the parameters, but your goal is also to understand how that should feel more importantly, how that should feel to you more importantly to be into tempo effort or to get into steady effort or to be at recovery effort. Your goal is to understand how that feels, how your breathing is, how your heart rate is, how your legs feel, how the rest of your body feels. That is the point here. And so being able to correlate how your body feels intuitively with these aerobic zones that help build a puzzle that will help you accomplish your goals is absolutely critical. So then the question becomes, if you understand that intellectually, then how? How do you practice it? How do you accomplish it? And I want to give you a handful of examples here or tips here on how you can do that so that we can put a practical edge on what has become a little bit of a nerdy episode today. So what does that look like? How do we put this into action in order to correlate your instincts and intuition as an athlete with the space that you're supposed to be from an effort-based perspective? So I've got five practical examples for you and then we'll wrap it up first embrace the watchless runs we are slaves to our garments or our gps watches and it has i think in many ways become a detriment to our training because we let the numbers on there guide us too much especially when it comes to easy running but sometimes even as it relates to workouts And we think that somehow our ego is at stake because of the numbers that we're seeing on the watch and maybe the numbers that we'll upload to Strava or Garmin Connect that others will see and we start to get wrapped up into that whole process. And so I would encourage you to to embrace the watchless runs or maybe the watch where in some cases you just throw duct tape on the face so that you can't see what it says, but you're still recording the data so that you have it, you have it for Strava, otherwise it didn't happen, right? So embrace the watchless runs or the watch or the runs where you don't look at your watch and you just tune into how you feel. Just tune in to how you feel. Mostly I like to do this on easy days. But I think there's also a case to be made to do this on the occasional workout. And I've even done a race without a watch which was an absolutely fascinating experience. I did a 10-mile race once without a, without a watch because I because it was a really hilly course and I knew that, and by the way, it was a course I knew well. So it was a hilly course that I knew well, 10-mile race. I knew that it didn't really matter what the watch says. What mattered, what mattered at every point of that hilly course was how did I feel in each section of that course. And so in order to ignore completely the numbers on my watch in order to not get wrapped up into my pace per mile, I decided to go watchless and it was a bit of a terrifying decision and I didn't know how it would work or if it would help. Ultimately it was a liberating experience and I ended up having a great race because of it, because I was so tuned in to how I felt and it was that I didn't care about the, what the watch said. And it in weird ways unlocked potential for me at the end of that race that I didn't know I had So I would encourage you to occasionally do 
workouts or even races without a watch as well in order to really tune into this or do a race or a workout with duct tape on your watch so you can't see what it says but you're tracking the data so you can look at it later because that when you when you really just ignore it and you start to feel it and you're forced to do that that's really the best way to do this so consider that consider that and consider doing it more regularly than you're doing now especially for those workouts where maybe pace is less relevant and it's just about how you feel. So that's one tip. Tip two, which is correlated, is to ignore the instant pace data on your GPS watch. Ignore the instant pace data on your GPS watch and instead learn how to do it old school and just use lap times and lap splits. This used to be when back in the days of Timex for those older runners out there where you had to do it that way, where you had to split your watch at the lap. And and if you knew the distance of the lap, then you knew how fast you were running, especially on a track, but even on other road courses as well. And so embrace that old school way. It's funny that it's old school because it's really not that old, but embrace that old school way of tracking your progress during a workout where instead of looking instant pace, or even average pace, look at lap pace. And if you know the distance of your interval, then you know exactly how fast you're going. I think this is really the only way to do it on a track, although I know I have people that still just try to insist on looking at instant pace or average pace on a track where your GPS can't be accurate because you're running in circles. But figure out how to use your watch's lap button because all GPSs have this tool. And when you come through a lap on the track... If you note the time, then you know that you've done 400 meters at X time, which can translate into a mile pace if you multiply times four, essentially. And then you'll know how fast you're going. Even more advanced, you can obviously just know what those lap paces should be instead of the correlation to pace per mile. And that's going to be even more powerful because then you can just dial into doing that interval, which is Usually, by the way, a set distance, you can dial into doing it at a certain time and then adjust up or down based on the time of the interval instead of some calculated instant pace or calculated per mile pace. And to me, this does a couple things for you. Not only does it get around the inaccuracies of instant pace, which by the way is incredibly inaccurate and not that useful for workouts, but also it means that you're really only focused on the total time during that interval instead of any one part of that interval. And yeah, you can use lap splits. And if I'm trying to do 400 meters in 90 seconds, then I'm looking at my splits sometimes at 200. And if I'm at 45, then I know I'm right on track. And so, yeah, you can use those laps to figure out if you're on track for the total interval. But it also means that, again, you're feeling things more than you are trying to make your watch say a certain number at any given time. And that's critical to learning to dial into a certain effort as well as ultimately really dial into a certain pace. So one tip, watch this runs to learn to use that lap tool on your watch if you don't know how to use it because you really should frankly be using that mostly for workouts anyway. Third tip, analyze the data later. Analyze the data later. 
Yes, use your lap check-ins to make adjustments on the fly as you go through a workout. But really what those watches can really help you do is is look at the data holistically after the workout's done. And if you look at it holistically, then you can do a couple of things. One, you can see, did I accomplish the purpose of the workout in terms of the exact details? But two, also, how did how I was feeling throughout that workout correlate with the data I'm now seeing after the workout? And you can reflect on that once it's done in a way that I think is more powerful than when you're in the middle of it. So if you're using a GPS watch, don't worry so much about what it's telling you in real time other than making those little course corrections to kind of stay on track, but really look at it after the fact. And when you're doing longer and longer work, like tempo runs, steady runs, even easy runs, looking at that data afterwards, I think is the only thing that matters because I don't need you to tell me you know, what one mile to the next looks like in a tempo run, because it's not about, remember, pace in a tempo run, it's about effort. And so I would rather you execute that tempo run all based on effort, all based on effort, and then go back and look at the data and then correlate and see, you know, were you consistent from mile to mile? If so, what was that pace? And then correlate that pace to how you felt during that work. That is where the richness of analyzing the data comes. It's not necessarily in looking at it in the moment and saying, oh, mile two was X, mile one was Y, therefore I need to do this in mile three. No, no, that's not how you should be thinking about. What's more important is how do I feel at mile one? How do I feel at mile two? Am I in the right effort zone to achieve the purpose of the day? That is more important information than the pace you might see on your watch. Number four, always work in progression. And I'll say almost always, so put a little asterisk there, but almost always work in progression in your work. Almost every single run, almost every single race, almost every single workout should be done in some sort of progression so that you can learn to feel, learn to feel what it's like to go out at a certain effort and then clamp things down just a little bit and see what that does. That is critical to feeling out and understanding effort-based training, but also to making sure you don't make big mistakes in workouts or in races. And so every workout, I like to try to progress through the workout. And if I were to give you an 800-meter workout, which some of my athletes have this week, and let's say it's 8 times 800, a 10K pace with two minutes rest. If I gave you that workout, then I want you to start in that first one or two reps. I want you to start slower than 10K pace as a way to intentionally avoid overdoing it and then feel it out and work down to 10K. Hold that. And then at the end, finish strong because I like finishing everything strong, not going crazy, not doing anything you shouldn't do, but finish in one or two seconds fast at the end to reinforce that feeling you should have at the end of the race where you're finishing strong and fast. So always work in progression. Always work in progression. The body likes it, helps you execute workouts, and also just teaches you how to feel at each point as you work down. So that's number four, always work in progression. Number five, if you are using paces, in order to 
guide your workouts in order to get into the right zones that I mentioned. Then give yourself grace in those paces. And remember that eight-minute pace does not translate to anything necessarily. And really, there's freedom in the framework. There's also a range of paces that are most likely going to keep you in that right zone on a given day. This isn't a, a, a specific line of demarcation necessarily. And so give yourself a range of paces to work within, especially when you're not doing race-specific work that will allow you to have success on a given day. Oftentimes, I like athletes to work in a range that might be five to 10 seconds on either side of a target pace because, again, that opens things up so that you can, instead of being so focused on getting a specific pace, you're more concerned about how you're feeling, which means that you got a little bit of flex in order to achieve success. But also, it gives you that flexibility for those days where it is harder for whatever reason, bad weather, bad sleep, just don't feel it. It gives you a range of success where, yeah, if you're feeling bad on a given day for whatever reason, if you slow down and you're still in the right effort zone, but the pace happens to be slower within a given range, then you still have success on that day and it reinforces that point knowing that there's, there is a range to achieve success and that range is going to be dependent a lot on a lot of variables, but it kind of recognizes the fact that a given pace isn't actually what we're focused on. What we're focused on is getting to a certain effort level in order to achieve aerobic, an aerobic stimulus that will give us an outcome, a piece of the puzzle that ultimately builds towards getting our goal. So that's another way to dial into effort is to give yourself a range of successful paces in order to execute a workout. So those are five tips. Last thing I'll say though, is that above all else, I want you to remember two things today. One, effort is king. Going back to what I said at the beginning, that's what matters to give you that aerobic stimulus to get the outcomes you want. And so that's more important than anything else, more important than pace, more important even than heart rate. And you have to, so that's point one, effort is king. Therefore, two, you have to learn to feel your runs. You have to learn to know just based on how you're feeling, what your body's telling you, all the cues it's giving you, you have to know and learn to know through experience if you're in the right zone in order to achieve the purpose of the day doesn't mean you have to be perfect on that front because you're not going to be. And you'll never reach perfection on this front. I still make mistakes. But now 20 years into my running training journey, I'm pretty good. Nine times out of 10, I can dial into where I need to be based only on how I feel. My breathing, my heart rate, how the body's feeling. I can get to where I need to be. And that's where you want to be in order to achieve your goals in this sport. So go to work on that. Give yourselves opportunities to work on that by doing some of the tips I mentioned at the end and enjoy the journey because I think effort-based training makes it more fun and more beautiful as you go. So 
that will wrap it there. Thanks as always for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, then please support my new partner, Care of. You can get 50% off your first order using the code Rogue50 at takecareof.com. If that's something you need, I'd appreciate you using that code to support support me and support the podcast. You can also check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. And I'll include links in the show notes for those groups that I mentioned. Otherwise, that's it for today. I will talk to you guys next week.